Hello, and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here, and we buy and build wonderful internet companies. Today is a little bit of a different episode. I've been writing this operating manual series, so playbooks for different private equity and company building luminaries. This one today is on John Malone. He's best known for the book Cable Cowboy, and this is kind of his story. Just for perspective, I've done a bunch of these. Uh, you could check out them on my website, colinkeeley.com. I've done Mark Leonard, Andrew Wilkinson, Robert F. Smith, Joe Lamont, Felix Dennis, Mike Spicer, tons of them. But check it out and let's dive in to John Malone. Most of this comes from two different books, Cable Cowboy, John Malone and the Rise of the Modern Cable Business, and the book The Outsiders, Eight Unconventional CEOs in a Radically Rational Blueprint for Success by William Thorndike. Great books. Check it out. I'll have links in the show notes for those. So let's kick it off. So who is John Malone and what is TCI? John Malone is the billionaire former CEO of Telecommunications, or TCI, uh, a cable and media conglomerate from 1973 to 1996. Malone built TCI into a powerhouse through acquisitions of cable and media companies with exotic structures and financial engineering. At its peak, they're buying about one business a day. Today, Malone is the largest private landowner in the United States with 2.2 million acres, more than twice the size of Rhode Island. How did TCI and John Malone perform? At the end of his reign, TCI was the largest company in the cable industry and boasted the lowest programming costs, least maintained facilities, most complex structure, and by far the best returns. If you had invested $100 in TCI in 1973 when John Malone joined the company as a CEO and shared in all its spinoffs and splits, then your $100 would have appreciated to $181,000 when TCI was acquired by AT&T in 1999. Another way of putting this is that a single share of TCI purchased at the 1974 low cost of 75 cents was worth $4,184 by the end of 1997, a 5,578-times increase. Tracking the performance of TCI often confused Wall Street and investors. Malone was laser-focused on maximizing shareholder value. He did this through a flurry of complex mergers, acquisitions, stock dividends, and spin-offs that clouded the picture of the company's true performance while minimizing taxes. Every aspect of Malone's empire was designed to optimize shareholder returns and minimize taxes through the active use of financial engineering. Let's dive into how John Malone achieved such performance. So what is the founding story of TCI and Bob Magnus? Bob Magnus is the founder of TCI. John Malone was brought in later to be the CEO. Bob Magnus was a cottonseed salesman and cattle rancher. By chance, in 1956, Magnus gave two men a ride who were stranded while installing a community antenna system. At the time, there were only a few national television broadcasting networks in the US, NBC, ABC, and CBS. They were broadcasted over the air, so many areas were out of reach for the broadcast. Here was an opportunity for entrepreneurs. They started setting up antennas on high ground where the antennas could receive the broadcast and then they laid down cables from the antennas all the way to the customers' homes to sell the services. The chance encounter changed Bob Magnus's life. He sold his cattle, took out a mortgage on his home, borrowed $2,500 from his father and invested the proceeds into building a cable system in Memphis, Tennessee. Bob worked tirelessly on the system for two years laying the cables himself while his wife covered the office and eventually sold the cable network. With the proceeds of the sale, Magnus moved his family to Montana 
became the main investor and operator of six cable systems through two companies under overlapping ownership, Community Television Inc. and Western Microwave Inc. In 1968, the two companies merged under the name Telecommunications, or TCI. And in 1970, the company went public. At the time, it was the 10th largest cable company in the US. The company had grown from 12,000 subscribers in 1958 to close to 100,000 subscribers in 1972. Now the company was big enough that Magnus needed someone with more business knowledge to run it. Enter John Malone. How did John Malone come to join TCI? John Malone grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, where his father was an engineer. He excelled in school, math especially, and track and field. His father always recommended John guess at the answers before he saw them. This was a way to develop an intuition and make split-second decisions, which was an important weapon for John, allowing him to see the answers before others did. In 1963, John graduated from Yale with a bachelor's in electrical engineering and economics. After graduating, Malone looked for a place where he could continue his studies while getting paid. He found that opportunity AT&T Bell Labs, where he earned a master's and doctorate degrees in operational research and computer science. In 1967, John Malone stood in front of the AT&T board and presented a mathematical economic treaty of his, somewhat prophetically named profit maximization in a regulated firm. According to Malone, after the presentation, the chairman of AT&T put his arm around John and said, son, this was great, it gives you a lot to think about, but let me give you one word of advice. If there's anything you do in your career that changes the course of the Bell system, you have really done something. Realizing that AT&T was not the fast-paced environment that he was looking for, Malone looked for his next job. Malone took a job at McKinsey. The main thing he learned there was to listen intently. When Malone moved to McKinsey, he started interviewing everyone from the senior ranks down to the new hires. He always asked three questions. What works, what doesn't, and how would you fix it? Malone found that if he interviewed 30 people or so and listened intently, themes would emerge. The best ideas were sometimes hidden or they're lost in senior executives. By laying the patterns bare, studying in detail the disparate parts, not unlike disassembling a radio, he learned how big companies work. It was not rocket science. Malone realized you simply take the best ideas from anyone who had them, polish them up, and serve them up to the chairperson. Why did John Malone join TCI? After a two-year stint at McKinsey, Malone accepted a job proposal from one of his clients at McKinsey and went to work for General in Instruments, where he got his first brush with the cable industry. After losing a fight for the vacant CEO position of GI, Malone moved to a subsidiary of GI, Gerald Electronics, one of the biggest technical equipment suppliers to the growing cable industry at the time and the third biggest owner of cable systems in the US. Malone has joked that at the time when he arrived, Gerard's accounts receivables to the cable industry were bigger than the cable industry's entire market cap. What Gerard was actually doing was factoring the receivables to various financial discount houses. Bob Magnus was interested in acquiring Gerard's cable systems. The only problem was that he was severely cash-strapped. When Malone told Moses Shapiro, the chairman of General Instruments at the time, about TCI's interest in acquiring Gerard's cable systems as well, as his opinion that they could likely squeeze out a higher price out of this guy, Magnus, Shapiro retorted, Yeah, but I don't want any Portuguese escuetos. I want coin of the realm, cash. Investing in antennas and laying cables to customers' homes requires capital expenditures, and from the beginning, the cable industry has been reliant on funding through debt issuance. Cable subscriptions provided stable cash flows, but growth required the consumption of significant capital. By 1972, Bob Magnus was exhausted. 
Creditors had become uneasy with the burgeoning debt load of the company, and he realized that he might not be as well suited to the role of the CEO of a public company. It was time to find someone better. After a few months of courtship on April Fool's Day in 1973, John Malone started working for TCI as president and CEO of the cable company. He took a 50% pay cut and committed himself to investing a significant amount of his net worth in TCI stock. I can't pay you very much, but you got a great future here if you can create it, Magnus told Malone. By the time John Malone took over, Bob Magnus had built TCI into the fourth largest cable company in the U.S. using a wobbly foundation of brinkmanship, bald-faced gambles, and abundant debt. TCI's debt was equal to an impressive 15x the revenues of the company at the time. Malone had joked that in the first two years at TCI, he spent half of his time in New York getting beat up by the banks and the other half of his time meeting with city officials and reneging on commitments TCI had committed to for the cable licenses. Why was cable such a compelling business? A quote from John Malone. The sort of business that investors want today is predictable. It's got glue, sustainable revenue streams, meaningful growth, and pricing powers in parts of the business. So why was it compelling? Steady cash flow, number one. Cable TV systems generated cash flow from installation charges and recurring revenue from monthly service fees. Most of the money was plowed back into the companies, avoiding dividends uh, to shareholders, which would be taxed. The high cash flow could service an immense amount of debt, which was used to buy more systems, as well as depreciation. The companies paid hardly any taxes because of the high depreciation of the equipment. The average cable system enjoyed a profit margin of 57%, far better than most businesses. Also debt. Tax laws made it attractive to reinvest as cable operators could gradually write off the cost of the systems over many years, allowing them to reduce the leftover profits they reported as earnings, thereby sheltering healthy cash flow from taxation. After cable systems were written off most of the values of the cable system's assets, they could sell it to a new owner who could begin the tax-eluting depreciation cycle all over again. Because of the structure and the tax incentives, TCI had to keep expanding, buying up new cable systems to start off the right process anew and build new cash flows. Debt interest payments could also be written off as expenses for taxes. Malone targeted a ratio of five times debt to EBITDA and kept it for most of the 1980s and 1990s. Malone was careful not to cross-collateralize, so if one defaulted, it wouldn't impact others. Debt also had the nice added benefit of magnifying financial returns. Very little upfront equity was required to purchase new systems. How did TCI fund acquisitions? A mountain of debt. Malone played in a regulated industry that was very stable and focused on cash flow, so he knew what he could afford. In the early days, TCI was struggling financially, and Malone met with the main lenders to ask them to bring down the interest rates because of the healthy cash flows. They countered instead by proposing to raise the rates. Malone told them that they could have the keys and raise the interest rates if they thought they could run the company better than him. They eventually backed down and gave TCI some room to breathe. To fund TCI's expansion, Malone courted companies with capital to invest in an interesting cable but no expertise. What does TCI look for in businesses to buy? Simple math deals was a big one. Malone looked for obvious deals. He didn't use fancy spreadsheets to model out deals. He wanted deals that could be justified with simple math. He once said, I'm a mathematician, not a programmer. I may be accurate, but I'm not precise. Malone would only buy businesses when the purchase price was below five times cash flow after obvious benefits from programming discounts and overhead elimination were taken into account. Malone could do this math on a napkin. No fancy modeling is needed. 
the basic assumptions and operational expertise for what mattered. The simple approach allowed him to move quickly when deals came up. He would strike deals within an hour, even for million subscriber systems. They also looked at horizontal integration. The cable business had obvious scale advantage. With scale, the unit economics improved as TCI could buy programming and equipment for lower costs than their smaller competitors. The synergies were also real in horizontal acquisitions. He could cut overhead on new acquisitions and estimate it reasonably well before closing. They avoided competition. TCI focused on rural areas and smaller cities where there's less competition for cable licenses, and city officials had lower expectations required for those licenses. Many competitors were overbidding for cable licenses in large cities, while TCI continued to grow in the shadows. At its peak, TCI was doing an acquisition a day, quietly consolidating an industry across smaller cities. Vertical integration. Malone preferred to scale horizontally, but once it got large enough, it made sense to also scale vertically. The question, is the cable system going to be a great business? Who is going to make the money? It may well be that Disney's of the world make the money, cable and video continues to get squeezed, but I think, at least for now, we've got enough pricing power in broadband to make up for that. The key to future profitability and success in the cable industry will always be the ability to control programming costs through the leverage of size. John Malone. The next step from owning cable that delivered the programming was to own a piece of the cable companies themselves, thereby channeling in a whole extra upside. This way, TCI could own both the pipes and the water flowing through it. Vertical integration of companies would become an awesomely powerful and controversial tool in building TCI. TCI eventually came to own parts of BET, MDV, the Discovery Channel, and many more. Bet on up-and-comers. Malone realized early on the value of betting on young and talented entrepreneurs. He could use the size and scale of TCI to get equity interests in up-and-coming content providers and cable companies. Then he could turn around and add significant value to them. This caused very little in upfront capital. By the time of the AT&T sale, the company had 41 separate partnerships like this. When he saw an idea or founder he liked, he would act quickly. He famously wrote Bob Johnson, the founder of BET, a $500,000 check during their first meeting. By the end of the 1980s, TCI owned a piece of BET, Turner Broadcasting, Discovery, Encore, QVC, and many other cable companies. So how did John Malone manage TCI? His simplified playbook was this. Identify a market opportunity, hire good people and pay them well, focus on doing the same deal over and over again for years, and pay out with tax-friendly structures. He focused on being a capital allocator first and manager second. He delegated most of the day-to-day -day responsibilities to CEO J.C. Sparkman, who managed with rigorous budgeting. Sparkman was a former Air Force officer and ran the company with strict discipline. Managers were expected to stick to a budget and hit their cash flow targets. If they did, they were left on their own to operate how they saw fit. If they didn't, they were quickly visited by upper management and replaced if things didn't improve. Malone focused on cash flow. He quickly realized that maximizing earnings for sure didn't work with the pursuit of scale. Higher net income meant higher taxes, which was a waste of money. Malone basically invented the focus on cash flow. Most companies at the time ran their companies on EPS, earnings per share. Malone ignored that and focused on EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, which wasn't a thing back then. He was alone at the time in emphasizing cash flow to lenders and investors. It was an entirely new vocabulary. Many of his competitors adopted it over the years, and we all use it today. At the time, it stumped analysts, and TCI stock was punished in the short term for it. 
Don't fear complexity. With all the joint ventures and spin-offs, TCI was notoriously difficult to value. It was often sold at a discount to peers and its true value for this reason. The complexity was worth it though for the extra value from the different projects. Strong culture. Incentives and autonomy create a strong culture. The company was known as a place for frugal, action-oriented cowboys. They were the counterpoint to the more conservative and bureaucratic East Coasters who ran most of the other large cable companies. TCI's aggressive employee stock purchase program made many millionaires down to John Malone's secretary. The company would match employee contributions and everyone was invited to participate. In Malone's first 16 years, not a single senior executive left. In 1995, with 12 million subscribers, the company had only 17 employees at the head office. Malone would say, we don't believe in staff. Staff are people who second-guess people. The company had no human resources and didn't hire a PR person until the late 1980s. Avoid taxes at all costs. Malone hated taxes. They offended his libertarian uh, sensibilities. Even as TCI grew, its cash flow 20x, he never paid any real taxes. He never paid dividends and rarely paid down debt. All extra cash flow was reinvested in more acquisitions to grow the company. His only splurge in the head office was on tax experts who he met with monthly. Virtually all his sales were in equity to avoid taxes as well. Frugality. Malone was famously frugal at TCI. The large amount of debt they used forced operational discipline. The company's office was spartan with few employees, one receptionist, and an automated service that answered the phones. They shared hotel rooms on the road, and holiday inns were a rare luxury. With its frugality, TCI had the highest margins in the industry and consistently outperformed its projections. They were the last adopter of new technologies, and they would only invest in their aging cable systems when absolutely necessary. No memos. Malone, like Magnus, didn't believe in memos, the emails of the day. No paper passed from his desk to his underlings. Politicians didn't excel at TCI. Communication was direct, effective, and efficient. Tax-friendly share price growth. John Malone once said, it's not about earnings. It's about wealth creation and levered cash flow growth. Tell me that you don't care about earnings. The first thing you do is make sure you have enough juice to survive. You don't have any credit issues that are going to bite you in the near term. That you've thought about how you manage your way through those issues. I used to go to shareholder meetings. Someone would ask about earnings. And I'd say, I think you're in the wrong meeting. That's the wrong metric. In fact, in the cable industry, if you start generating earnings, that means you stop growing and the government is now participating in what otherwise should be a growth metric. Malone used different classes of shares with different voting rights. A standing joke around TCI was as TCI ever did report a large profit, Malone would fire the accountants. John Malone said, taxes are a leakage of economic value. And to the degree that it can be deferred, you get to continue to invest that component on behalf of the government. There's an old saying that the government is your partner from birth, but they don't get to come to all the meetings. Better to pay interest than taxes. Malone had to teach the street what was really important. There's a big difference between creating wealth and reporting income. Focus on cash flow rather than reported income was hard for most people to accept. It was controversial for decades. But those who invested alongside Malone would benefit greatly. He always pushed a long-term mindset and time horizon. Risk minimization. John Malone said, don't expose yourself to one financial source. Diversification of every kind is the goal. Isolate financial risk. The cable industry would never rely on a single supplier of a hardware component for that reason. Malone liked to use naval metaphors, such as bulkheads, to describe the setup. Large ships are designed to withstand battle damage because they have watertight bulkheads. 
and separate and self-contained compartments that can be sealed off to prevent an injured vessel from capsizing. You can take a torpedo in any one part and still stay afloat. With each new system he bought, the debt was secured by a TCI subsidiary, not by the parent company. So if the cable system defaulted on a loan, only one subsidiary would be threatened. Another way Malone eased risk was to spread it out among an ever-broadering array of partners, thereby protecting TCI and enhancing its influence in this industry simultaneously. Aside from the cable systems that are wholly owned by TCI, the company was a minority partner in more than 35 cable systems, all of which got the same price breaks and pro programming that TCI got, which amounted to as much as 30%. John Malone said, our skills here are internally very much in financial engineering. Entrepreneurs will always be able to take an asset, lever it up, operate it tightly, and make it worth more to them and get a good equity returns. You can borrow money against a growing cash flow stream, and as long as your growth rate's faster than your cost of money, it's a wonderful business. The cable industry created so many rich guys. It was a combination of tax-sheltered cash flow growth that was, in effect, growing faster than the interest rate under which you could borrow money. Inflation lets you raise your rates and dev devalue your liabilities. So what did TCI do after a sale? How did they operate? TCI was highly efficient in cutting costs after acquisition. With one unprofitable Pittsburgh acquisition, they were able to immediately cut payroll in half, move their fancy offices from a downtown skyscraper to a tire warehouse, and within months, the unprofitable companies started generating significant cash flow. They put their resources into hanging cable, getting new markets, and then ignoring subscribers. You could do that with mini monopolies and not much else. Terrible customer service was part of the business plan. He was working in a regulated monopoly and behaved differently because of it. They were just incentives in the space. When did John Malone buy businesses? John Malone said, recently someone said, have you lost weight? And I said, yeah, 35 pounds and three and a half billion dollars. I've done lots of bad deals. Yeah, I've done some horrific deals. When I stick to my knitting, I do okay. It's when I listen to some Pied Piper. This was on the internet bubble. Malone was patient when things got too expensive. He built up cash reserves, made smaller acquisitions, and waited for prices to normalize after buying frenzies were over. Once bubbles burst, Malone sprang into action. He made his most significant gains and downturns. Malone relished the role of bargain hunter amid the spoils of bad deals made by his competitors. One of his superpowers was his ability to wait without tiring of waiting. Uh, so that's John Malone. Check out the book. Check out my operating manual at colinkeely.com as well. And that's it. Take care, everyone. This was a lot of talking for me. I don't know if I'm going to do these again. This was much harder than I would have guessed. But if you enjoyed it, you know, feel free to reach out and maybe I could keep making these audio versions. Uh, take care. Have a good week.